While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. That's a text that most of us are very familiar with. It's actually talking about the, the last time that Jesus had on this earth to, to observe the Passover. And after the Passover, then they, uh, he took the disciples and they, they uh, had a ceremony, as, if you might call it. He broke the bread and he told them to eat it. This was uh, his body given for them. And then he took the cup and he said something peculiar here that uh, we might miss if, we're, if we... Uh, don't stop for a minute. He said, I won't drink this fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We sometimes think that we know what it means when Jesus says something. And sometimes we took it, look at the text and think maybe this was just something he said offhand. But we have to be careful because I don't believe that Jesus said anything offhand. I believe that whatever he said and whatever he recorded for us is there for a purpose. Now, he made the statement here that he was going to drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What could Jesus have intended when he said that he was going to drink the fruit of the vine new? What did he mean by that? Uh, what would be new about drinking the cup? What would be new about drinking the fruit of the vine? What would be new about sharing the drinking of a cup? The coming of the kingdom obviously was essential to this point because he said he would drink it new with them in the kingdom. We know sometimes what new means. We, it might mean that it will be unlike the old way of drinking the cup. Now, thinking about that, how could you drink out of a cup new? How would you have a new way of drinking? out of the cup. I'm sure he wasn't talking about that. It could mean that it would be different in an essential way. Some way that they would be drinking that cup that would be new essentially. Making some remark or some, some uh, paraphrase to drinking it in a way that was not ordinary. It probably means that the environment would be new. And it might mean that they would be new, he would be new, or the way they drank it would be new. Okay, let's just leave it at that. Let's look at the other texts that say the same thing. In Luke chapter 22, this also records that Last Supper. And Luke said, I say unto you, he's, he's, uh, he's uh, paraphrasing or he's phrasing what Jesus said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God come. So Luke didn't say anything about drinking it new. But he did say, I won't drink this cup again until the kingdom comes. In Mark chapter 14, verse 25, he said, Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So he could be talking about the fact that this is not going to happen. He's not going to drink fruit of the vine again until the, the kingdom comes. 
Now, after Jesus resurrected, we, we know of at least two occasions, maybe three, where Jesus actually joined with the apostles and had a meal with them. And in all likelihood, they had something to drink. And probably it was the fruit of the vine. So when he was on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, you remember he met the two fellows. They were talking, walking along, and then they went back to the place where everybody had gathered together. And Jesus then had a meal with those men. But it says nothing about drinking a cup. On another occasion, they may have done this again, by the way, but on another occasion, Jesus is on the seashore in Mark in John chapter 21. Jesus is on the seashore, and a few of his apostles were out fishing, Peter and some of the rest, and he called them in to the shore, and he fixed breakfast for them. But nothing is said about drinking of a cup. Nothing. We look to the scriptures to discover what Jesus meant when he said that they would drink the cup new with me in my Father's kingdom. He's likely talking about, in all essence, he's probably talking about the fact that when the kingdom came, the disciples would gather together and they would, in some way, have a meal and then he'd break the bread in remembrance of him. They would remember him. So while he was on this earth, and with them, they had no reason to try to remember him. He was there. But when he left, then they would have a need to remember him, which they did. So in 1 Corinthians in chapter 11, verse 23 through 27, Paul said this, talking about the church at Corinth and other churches by that time, they had been observing this supper, and they had been remembering Jesus. Okay? So he said, I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Remember me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death till He come. Okay. They were doing it then. They were breaking the bread, remembering Jesus. They were drinking the cup, remembering Jesus. What was new about it? What was new? Well, they were in the kingdom. That, that would be a new part. But I'm going to suggest to you that the new thing that they were drinking was the fact that they had Jesus with them at that time when He wasn't actually with them physically present. Now that would be new, wouldn't it? That Jesus could actually be with them when He was not with them physically. Now that's, I believe, the newness. In John chapter 14, verse 19 through 23, He said, Yet a little while and the world sees Me no more, but you see Me. Okay. Sometimes we get upset because the world cannot understand what we're doing as a people. They don't understand Jesus. They don't take seriously what Jesus said. They're not thinking about what Jesus wants them to do. And we get upset about it. We shouldn't because the world can't see Jesus. But you can. You see Him by faith. Now this is listen to this text. Jesus said, Because I live, you'll live also. At that day you shall know that I'm in my Father, 
and you in me, and I in you. Now that's new. That's brand new. Nothing like it before. He that has my commandments and keep them, he it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved of my Father. I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas said unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Okay, the newness of this breaking of the bread and drinking of the fruit of the vine was the fact that Jesus was there and those who believed in him could see him there. Now that's new. Nothing like it before. Nothing like it since. He said, if a man love me, he will keep my words. My Father will love him. We will come unto him and make our abode with him. All right. Now that's new. It might, might astonish us, but for centuries, God had spoken through the prophets of a time when he was going to change everything in heaven and earth and make everything new. Not old, new. Now listen to this. In Isaiah chapter 42 at verse 9, it says, Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I will tell you them. So God had promised through the prophets He was going to make something new. In Isaiah 43 verse 19, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He said, I'm going to make a new thing. We've got to, we, we have to know what new means. <laughs> we just have to know it. If we don't know what new means, we don't know what He's talking about. We have to know what it means. In Isaiah 48 verse 6 says, You have heard, see all this, and will you not declare it? I have showed you new things from this time, even, un, even hidden things, and you did not know them. He said, but I'm going to show you new things. Everything that God and His people would have in relationship would be new. It would not be presumptive to say that all things that pertain to Jesus, Jesus and His kingdom would be radically different. New. Not like the old. New. Completely new. Isaiah 65 verse 17. How new? Listen to this. I be, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Okay, now I'm going to tell you some new things now. Some things that God said I'm going to make different. And we sometimes, if we're not careful, we begin to think in old terms and old ideas and old forms. We begin to think that this, the new thing is like the old thing. My friend, it is not like the old thing. The old thing passed away. The new thing is here, and it's brand sparkling new, different. It's not like the old. Now listen. He said that his kingdom would be regulated by a new agreement, a new covenant. That's, that's easy, isn't it? Jeremiah 31, 31 through 32 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord. I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband unto them. He said, I will make a new agreement, not like the old one. So we can't go back to the old one and say, hey, this is kind of like what he did. This, this new one is going to be kind of like the old one. 
No, it's not. It's a new one. It's not like the old. The citizens of the kingdom would be a new type of personality. Okay, we can look back at Israel and say, well, we know what those folks look like. We know what the people look like under the Old Testament scheme, under the Old Testament world, under the old world, and the old heavens. We can look back and say, look what they look like. But that's not what you're going to look like. That's the, that's the difference. Now, Ephesians, or Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19 and 20 says this, I will give them one heart. I will put a new spirit within you. Now, he's not going to put the old spirit back in. He's not going to take the old spirit and refurbish it and say, okay, this looks like a pretty good old spirit. We'll put this in the new people. No. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I will take the stony heart out of your flesh and will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. They shall be my people. I'll be their God. It's not going to be like the old. You're not going to be like Samson. You're not going to be like David. You're not going to be like Abraham. These were individuals under the old system, the Old Testament. There's some things about them that will be like this, but basically you're going to be new, a new creation. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 31 says, Cast away from you all your transgressions whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit, for why will you die, O house of Israel? You can even have, have a part in it. He said, make you a new heart and a new spirit. Jesus came teaching, doing new things, and showing people new ways. In Mark chapter 1, verse 27, they were all amazed after they heard Jesus teaching, inasmuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. They were seeing something they had never before seen in their lives. Something new. Okay. Paul referred to the gospel as the New Testament, not the old, as the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6 and 7 says, Who also had made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious... So that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. So the difference in the glory because it's a difference in the covenant. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 says, Now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is a mediator of a better covenant, which is established upon better promises. In that he said a new covenant. He has made the first old. Now that which decays and waxes old is ready to vanish away. The scriptures announce that the world of Jesus is new and all things inside that new system is out of the ordinary. It's different to the extreme. So when we look at the New Testament, we're looking at something extremely different than what the world would conceive of or what even the Old Testament looked like. Notice what is stated in Revelation 21 verse 5. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. The difference between the world we're familiar with and the world, new world of Jesus is extreme. It's extreme. It's radical. 
Why should we be surprised when people do not understand what we're talking about when we talk about the Scriptures? When we talk about righteousness? When we talk about holiness? When we talk about what God wants us to do and how He wants us to believe? Once we enter that new world, the difference should become obvious to us once we come in. It's a, it's a radically different world. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Why do you suppose you feel uncomfortable when you're around people that are not believers? Because you're in a new world. They're in an old world. It's just that simple. But it's there. We become new people. We're not old folks. We're not set in our old ways. We're not refurbished. We're new. Now I've got to, I've got to, I've got to tell you this because, of course, everything we're going to talk about is regulated by faith. So if you don't have any faith, you're not going to get it. You're not going to even think about it. You're not going to experience it. You can't see it. As a matter of fact. Hebrews said, the book of Hebrews says this, that, uh, that without faith we can't please God. We walk by faith, not by sight. Don't you get it? <laughs> let's talk about it a minute. When we talk about your life, now let's talk about your life. Let's talk about my life. We talk about our life and our relationship to God. When we come into Jesus Christ, we don't come in refurbished. We come in brand spanking new. Do you know the difference? Do you know the difference between refurbished and new? Let's talk about a car. Let's talk about a 1935 Ford. 1935 Ford. Okay, we've got an old 1935 Ford and it's rusted and the chassis is giving way. The springs are, springs are, are broken down. The engine is failing. It's seized up. The, the coolant doesn't run through the engine at all. The, the transmission doesn't work anymore. And the windows are cracked so forth. So we refurbish it. What we do is we put new springs under it. We put a new drivetrain in it. We, we uh, take the engine out. We bore it and stroke it. And we, we make sure that we put a new carburetion on it. And we make sure everything is right in that engine. We put all new hoses on it. We put all new uh, wiring in it. We put all new, uh, new a new system that, that would... Uh, transfer the gasoline to the, to the engine, to the carburetor and so forth. We make sure the oil is functioning properly, the valves are working right. We make sure that the windshield is clear, all the windows are clear. We make sure that the chassis is clean and stout and we, we uh, raise everything and we, we sand it down and we polish it up. We put a new paint job on it and it looks brand spanking new. But you know what it is? It's a 1935 Ford. And you get through all that, and still that's what it is. The 1935 Ford. It is not a new car. It's a refurbished car. It's just like it was before, but it's shined up and polished a little bit. That's refurbished. God did not refurbish you, my friend. When He, when he purchased you with the blood of His Son, He made you brand spanking new. You're not refurbished. You're brand new. You can't bring your old self into the new world of Jesus. It can't be done. You can't come into the kingdom that way. Jesus said, I'm going I'm to 
drink this cup new with you in my kingdom. Not the old refurbished you. What about a house? You take an old house that's broken down and weather beaten and weather worn, and all of a sudden you say, I think I can I think I can fix that house up, make it livable. So what do you do? Well you sandblast all the walls, you replace all the rotted wood, you look at the foundation, you repair everything you can on the foundation, you put a new roof on it, you put a new paint job all through the through the rooms in the house, you put all new kitchen appliances in it, you put everything in it, and what have you done? You have refurbished an old house. You are a house of God. He doesn't want a refurbished old house. God wants a new one. And He wants you as a new house. So that's what we're talking about. So when you want to be, when you're going to be new in the kingdom, you're going to be brand new, not refurbished. You're not going to be remade. You're not going to be remodeled. You're going to be new. And that being so, then you can't reach back into your old life and try to use the old things you've become accustomed to to adapt to your new life in God and in Jesus Christ. We come into the realm of life defined by faith. In doing so, we step out of an old realm of physical sensations. We walk by faith and not by sight. He that comes to God must believe that He is that He is the reward of them that diligently seek Him. We worship, we worship God in spirit and in truth. It's difficult to abandon our old lifetime of sensory perceptions. It's difficult to abandon that and come into a life that is defined by faith. As a matter of fact, if we can't touch it, if we can't taste it, if we can't smell it, if we can't hear it, if we can't see it for ourselves, then we reject it. Because that's our old life. That's what we've become accustomed to. But we have to be free from that old life and in tune with the new. Faith is the new way. The new life that's unlike the old. The old way drags us back into the world of false hopes, empty promises, a world that's filled with lies and deceptions and disappointments that can't satisfy our yearnings. And yet we cling to the old and we try to reconstruct or construct our new life with old templates. We do. Our new life, well, okay, I have a disappointment. I'm gonna, how am I going to handle that disappointment? In my new life, God helps me handle it. In my old life, I can handle a disappointment by going back and making, making some adjustments to my old career and what I was doing and trying to get everything rebuilt and put back together and bring me into the situation where I feel comfortable. But my new life says, wait a minute, Bill. This is new. Step out by faith. Take your cue from God. Take your power from heaven and walk with Him and let Him help you take care of your disappointments and your problems. In Jesus, God takes our hand and says, come with me and do it this way. Walk by faith and trust me to lead you to a better life and to a place which will never go old. And we say, but Lord, we've done it this way all of our lives and it's worked. It's worked. Let's just think about it this way. I'll give you an illustration. The, the Bible tells us that uh, we are to put away our anger. Right? Be angry and sin no more. 
the, the text is found in several texts in the New Testament, Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, places like that. Anyway, so what we say is, okay, be, uh, so we, we begin to look for ways that we can be angry without really being angry. That's our old life. You follow what I'm saying? So we say, okay, here, here's why I won't be angry anymore. I'll count to ten before I lose my temper. That's the old life. That's not the new way. That's not what God said. So we look at it and say, okay, maybe I can be angry and not sin. And although the Bible says that, that wrath works not the righteousness of God in James 1. Anyway, we take our old life and try to adapt to our new life with it and say, okay, it worked here. It ought to work here. It doesn't. God will help you overcome your anger if you will let Him. But it takes faith to get it done. Follow me? We have these sensations from our old life, from our old way, that we're wrestling with and trying to overcome. And yet, we're trying to do it the old way instead of the new way. The new way is through faith. Hebrews 3.10 says, I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart. They have not known my ways. Why was he grieved with that generation? Because they were living in an old time. They were living in the old way instead of the new way. They were living under the old heaven and earth, and we're living under the new heaven and earth. It's apparent by several gospel texts that God intends that we behave differently than the ordinary world would when attempting to live a new life. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise of the same man, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walk in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. So he said, that was your old life. Now you should live in a new life. When we decide we're going to change our lives for the better, we make resolutions. That's why I'm talking about this today. I resolve, okay, I'm going to make a new resolution. It's a new world, a new time, a new year. Okay, I'm going to take a course in manners, like the Dale Carnegie course. If my manners have been bad, I'm going to take a course in, in good manners. That's how I'm going to improve my life. I'm going to read a book on self-improvement. I'm going to do an internet search and find out what I can do to improve my life. I'm going to find a role model, somebody that I want to look up to. I want to, I want to exercise more self-restraint. I may even go on a strict diet because, you know, if you feel better, you do better. Improve your body, change your life. That's the, that's the mantra. I'm going to be more tolerant and patient. So we make these resolutions for the new year, and then we want to stick to them. And sometimes we make a reward system. We'll say, okay, if I do this, then I'm going to reward myself. If I'm good for a while, I'll give myself a reward. Maybe if I diet long enough, then I'll have a chocolate ice cream cone later. I'm going to reward myself. That's the way we do it. That's the way we, we try to, to try to get by. I'll, I'll punish the failure. If I cuss, I'll put some money in a cuss jar. You see, what we're talking about is the old life and the old way that we had of dealing with our problems, with our character, 
with our life with God. I'll do some more good deeds. I'll, I'll apologize more easily. Doesn't mean I'll quit making people mad, but I'll just apologize quicker. I'll make amends. I'll be nicer. I'll do good deeds. I'll give a little bit to the poor. I'll be generous. I'll ignore some insults. I'll be positive in attitude. I'll be more helpful and be kinder. And the list goes on. Good resolutions on many fronts, but what I'm saying is we're reaching back into the old to apply it to the new. That's not how it works in Jesus. The world Jesus calls us to is different. The believer has the tools necessary to make the changes required. You have the tools. Matter of fact, the Bible calls this the power. The power. If you want to quit having to apologize, then you can get the power from God to stop making the insults. If you want to quit apologizing because you said something mean about someone, then you, God has given you the power and the tools to quit doing it to start with. You don't have to apologize later. You see the difference? It's still a 1935 Ford if all you're doing is polishing it up and fixing it up. It's still the same old car. You've got to get out of that one and then get in the new one. Get away from that. Get into the new system that God has given us. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 4 says, We have the power of God to be able to overcome our problems. Ephesians 3.20 says the same thing. God's power. It's, but get it. Here's, here's where it starts. In order for us to get out of the old and into the new, we have to start all over. You know what? You have to start all over. He doesn't say, hey, you've made some mistakes, let's get it right. No, what he says was, what he told, what Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, you've got to start all over. You have to be born again. And you've got to, if you're born again, you have to learn again. You have to know what is going on in the new world and leave the old world behind. Jesus can purge your conscience from living works, from dead works. Hebrews 9.14 Jesus is the new teacher with no flaws or prejudices to pass on. He's the new companion. He said, I will be with you. My Father will be with you. Whenever you have a, a desire to make a change, in your life for the better to get closer to God, guess what? Jesus is there with you. You know what that takes? Faith. You have to believe He's there. If you do not believe it, He's not there. That's the new world. And that's the power of the new world. Jesus present in your life. He gives you the new means of con containing your bad impulses. That's the power of the Holy Spirit on your spirit. A new source of recovery. Forgiveness. A new wealth of information for daily living. Advice and counsel in the Word. A new way to face life's vicissitudes. He will feed you and clothe you. You don't have to worry. And that takes faith to know that He's going to take care of you. You know, one thing about the world of Jesus is that it's a world full of surprises. It's full of good things. As our brother said this morning in his prayer, it's just good things in Jesus. When we have a problem, 
and we can't see the solution, we don't need to see it. Because somehow, some way, God will provide it. He'll provide the solution. We can say, well, I've got it figured out. This is how I think it ought to work. And so we go back to our old world and our old system of how we figure things out. We get it all figured out. It ought to go this way, this way, this way, and this way. And we end up over here having the solution. Right? Because this is the way we've always done it. And yet, guess what? God will provide a way that you won't even expect. Just get ready to be surprised because He will fix it the way you don't think it ought to be fixed. He will take care of it. That's the new world. That's not the old world. You can't work that way in the old world. But the old world says, no, you've got to do it one, two, three, four, five, six, and this is it. Jesus said, give it to me. I will take care of it. I will make sure that everything's all right. What about my job? Just expect that it will happen. Something will happen. God will take care of you some way because that's what faith is talking about. Any problem, any difficulty we have will be taken care of. Maybe not and probably not the way we have it patterned and solved ourselves, but it will be with Jesus and with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He will be new with you if you will be new with Him as you step into 2023 into a new year. Let Him be new with you in every way by your faith in Him. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation.